This is the Hidden Why Podcast, episode 957. This is my second conversation with Jennifer Byrne, discussing the future of tech, jobs, work, and life. It is so warm here, I tell you. It's, um, it's like 33 degrees Celsius today. Oh my gosh, that is, uh, that's, that's much warmer than warm. That's, I think, like actually hot, right? Yeah, something like that, yeah. It's probably cold where you are. Well, it's not because I live in Arizona, so I'm in the desert. So it's oh. actually, I mean, it's, it's cold for the desert, but it's still, um, what in Celsius, I think would still be maybe like 21, 22, something oh, like that. Okay. Yeah, that's a nice temperature. Yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Almost. Well, welcome oh. back, Jennifer. We um, we had a little teaser episode a, a few weeks back now, and uh, we shared that with our audience, and both of us can't really remember what we discussed, but we're going to discuss it again. And really... <laughs> um, you know, all about the future of, of work, I suppose. And what I like uh, from reading your bio is the idea of applying a, a different thought process or, as you've said, innovators' mindset to create opportunities in both work and life. That's that's the field of your work now, right? You, you're sort of looking at helping people do that? That is what I am doing, yes. So what is what are the opportunities in success for work and life? Like, are you doing this through coaching mentorship or are you doing this through applying technology to 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 work and life or both yeah i mean all of the above it's an exploratory process for me too so yes yeah. primarily it started as a coaching and mentorship uh speaking advising that kind of work which hmm. still continues i am writing a book uh that is in the end stages uh although it's the first book i've ever written and although i have a lot of help uh, people who, you know, are in that space professionally, it's pretty hard to do. So there's a book that, and that's my long way of saying, I don't know when it'll be done. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I am working on a few projects to try to think about how do you apply technology to the problem? Because, you know, my particular lens is, you know, you almost always, or, or at least primarily through technology, lens of technology and, um, digital competencies and, you know, for all the great stuff that technology has provided to the world, there are some unintended consequences around it changing the nature of work. And, and you know, if you aren't prepared for that, it can be a kind of a hard thing to grapple with. And so could we use technology to save, to solve the same problem that um, it in some ways created? Okay. What in, in everyday life, what are some of the opportunities you've come across uh, or problems, I guess, you've come across to solve as, as an example, perhaps? You mean for for specific careers or no, just for life? Like rather than just let's not talk about work for now, but just lifestyles in general. Um, we've obviously been heavily uh, impacted by technology, um, and the example of the the phone that is now attached to our body pretty much seems to be the the most one common one that I, I think is having a, a large impact on the health and well being of people in the globe. I mean, is that something that you would consider as as well? I, I would. I would, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great question because it, you're reframing um, and broadening the sort of the question of how does technology, not just in your work life, but in general, how is it, you know, influencing the nature of our our own experience, right, our human experience, mm. our own journeys. And I think, um, you know, some of the well-known conversations around that are around social media and the fact that, you know, you now have yeah. the internet in your pocket mm. and uh, is that going to be a force for good? or or not there was a, a cartoon that came out about 10 years ago and it always sticks with me and it says you know I, I 
I have the internet in my pocket and um, I largely use it to, you know, watch cat videos and get in fights with people online. And, you know, and so it's the technology um, is uh, like any innovation. It is neither good nor evil. It's neither good nor bad. It's amoral. Um, it's what you do with it. And yeah. so I think it brings to bear this idea that we are uh, we are extraordinarily responsible for ourselves and our, our time. Yeah. Uh, and, and so are you are you going to continue to do something um, that challenges you? Are you going to continue to travel a path around you know self-awareness and understanding and purpose in life? Or are you not? And technology, you could think of it as an accelerant for either one of those choices. Hmm. So can we use technology to, to fight technology or the, or the impacts that technology has? And let's use the example of, of social media. Um, and I don't know whether it's going to be here to stay, social media. I assume it will be because it seems like it's pretty popular. Um, but how can we use, you know, the, I guess, self-control, obviously, if we if we can control ourselves and have a higher level of mindfulness and, and be more disciplined around not picking up the phone and hitting on Instagram or whatever to mindlessly, you know, scroll through images... Um, that's certainly one approach to to solving that problem. But how can we use technology to solve that problem? Yeah, well, to, I mean, again, in the in the context of personal awareness, you know, I, I think about this question a lot of times in, in work and how do you you know use technology to solve these sort of you know societal problems? But you're asking me about individual hmm. the the individual you know awareness and improvement. And I think I guess where I would go is I would say that it the uh, you know, the, across history with respect to innovation, you know, technology innovation before there was ever technology, you know, whatever was the behind industrial revolution, all the way back to, you know, inventing a wheel mm. or fire. Uh, whenever something arrives on the scene, there is so much fear about it, right? This is the end of everything. You know, maybe I'm, I'm trying to think of an example in the 50s, you know, television, right? You know, that it was, uh, it was, looked at with as much fear as excitement, um, electricity, you know, all of these things, when they change the nature of who we are and how we are with each other, there's as much fear, uh, as opportunity. And I think that is, uh, exactly what's going on right now. We've got this inflection point where there is an exponentially large amount of technology that has very rapidly arrived mm. on the scene, if you will. And I think we all know, we don't need anyone to tell us that there is a tremendous amount of um, sort of quality of life that technology makes possible. There are a lot of great things that, that come yeah. of it, even in our personal life. But of course, there's this dangerous thing as well. And I, I, I guess I, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard um, question to be asked because, you know, we're at the very beginning of this. And of course, no one knows. Literati in the tech industry can't tell you any more than I can what's going to happen as a result of the fact that we all, you know, are on Facebook and Twitter and, you know, WeChat and, and Snapchat and, and TikTok and everything else. We don't know, just like we didn't know, you know, back in the 50s, what, um, you know, with the technology of the day was going to, you know, sort of create for us. Yeah. Uh, in that era, it is largely what you do with it hmm. at the end of the day. And I think that is the, the consequence of it is a greater level of awareness. And if you think about it, think about, five years ago and the sophistication of our conversations around the internet and what it meant and what it could do. And none of us knew. And you fast forward to, you know, 2020 and people are on average 
far more sophisticated about the potential of technology and how it's good and how it's not. Everybody knows how to use Facebook. They all, we all know that it can be an incredible mm. times and it can be a platform that can connect us just as easily as it can be a platform that can divide us. We know this. We understand fake news and echo chambers. If you think about the sophistication of our conversation, um, that's gotten exponentially better. So, uh, so as a society becoming measure, quite aware. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you want to measure things in terms of awareness and knowledge and understanding and the sophistication of our understanding, you could make the argument that, um, you know, there's been some good that's come of it. Yeah. Well, you look at, um, I've got a a bunch of thoughts floating around my head, but you look at the idea of smoking and how that was, you know, quite accepted in the time and it's taken and it's still hard, but everyone knew, you know, that it's not good for you. Uh, and yet there was still a lot of going on. So whilst I think that, you know, we do understand that spending all day on Facebook uh, is probably not a good thing. We're not seeming to, to get away from it. We're still sucking up and consuming more than ever. We are. Uh, we are. You know, it's interesting. I have um, I have children in their 20s, hmm. and um, they very much look down their nose at Facebook. So Do they? It's, always, it's a really, it's, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. They don't Why is that? Facebook. That's interesting. I got... Because it's for old people in their mind. Oh, but they use, so, but they've got other choices then, yeah? They've got TikTok or They do, or exactly. Whatever. They do. And what they'll say is that the, you know, they'll be on Reddit or they'll be on Twitch TV or, you know, there are all sorts of other platforms hmm. um, that they're using. What's Twitch TV? Never heard of that. Twitch, uh, it's a live, uh, live streaming TV. You know, there's a... Hmm. Um, Gaming culture is a is a very very large industry, yeah. and one of the things that gamers do, professional gamers or sponsored gamers or or any gamer, um, celebrity gamers will do is that they will live stream the games that they're playing and talk, and then there's chat windows, and so it's just it's it's interesting. It's interesting because these platforms are are growing, uh, and they are largely unknown to older generations but my point in this is that um, a lot of younger generations might look at facebook as uh, an old school platform Hmm. that is fairly limited in the way that it that people talk on it right because you everyone has their facebook profile and then there's facebook groups and you know there's just the the construct of the platform is is kind of limited um, and that's hard to explain, you know, without understanding what the newer platforms look like, because you'd have to kind of compare them to see what I'm saying. But but um, I'll tell you that a lot of the newer platforms are growing in sophistication and the kinds of conversations that are happening there are, you could argue, are um, more real time. You know, they're virtual, but they are um, a little bit more um, multidimensional, maybe, than what you're going to find on the comment post of a or the comments of a Facebook post, which is how people talk on Facebook largely. They, you know, comment on posts. So, um, you know, so you're saying like smoking. I would say um, in this whole social media thing, it's not static. It's not going to be Facebook forever. Mm. The idea that people will use platforms digital platforms to connect with each other in different ways, I think isn't going away, but I think the platforms themselves will change. They will become more sophisticated. And I, you know, the optimist in me says the things that are fundamentally wrong about the platforms that we largely talk about, Facebook, et cetera, Twitter, maybe 
um, may get fixed in the new platforms in the future because nobody likes that. Yeah. Nobody wants trolls. Nobody wants, you know, these divisive conversations. Nobody wants to be, you know, think they're stuck in an echo chamber, you know, so we'll build new platforms that solve those problems. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get that. So do you think Facebook's going to be around longer term? I mean, will they just adapt and, and do things in a different way to still capture that oh, audience? I I think they'll totally adapt. Yeah, those companies, I mean, they're huge, right? Yeah. And, uh, and they can acquire and have been acquiring companies in different platforms and they're playing around with all sorts of um, different business models all the time. So yeah, yes, okay. I do think as a company, they will do survive, just yeah. fine. The Facebook platform itself, I'm sure will evolve. Yeah, okay. Um, the the negative effects of, of social media, do you, do you feel that that, um, for for society, do you feel these companies have a responsibility to 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 not make them so addictive and and you know because they're very well, they're very Moorish, aren't they? Oh, they're terrible. Yeah, they're terrible. I mean, I I don't want to say. I mean, I'm we're on a podcast here, so I, I want to be careful. Are they terrible? I think that they have. Um, it's a new addiction. So uh, yeah, I guess I I'm you know. So there should be a responsibility there placed in these companies, but I mean, I, I think they yes, I do think that they have I have some responsibility. I'm not sure what exactly how that looks. Is. Yeah, and you yeah, can't and put you a, know, a warning label on a cigarette packet; it's still not going to stop the smoker from smoking. Correct, um, and you know, hmm. the, the cigarette, the smoking analogy is really great because um, you you've got cultural issues as well, and this is a this is one of the really tricky things about you know what a, a global society and a global economy looks like that uh, you know 30 years ago or 20 years ago whenever it was that we decided smoking was bad how australia implemented its um no smoking or non-smoking or bans on smoking was very specific to australian culture which is very different than what would have happened in brazil or china or france or the u.s you know, and so you talk about what we would do differently, uh, you know, that will become a cultural thing ultimately. So could you ban Facebook in parts of Europe? Possibly the, you know, European Union, you know, is, has a, a you know, very uh, strong preference for privacy and uh, a strong dislike of really big companies that come in and sort of control markets. And so you could see that, you know, controls happening there uh, it, you know, could it happen in an Asian country for sure, right? Would it happen in the U.S. or Australia? You know, harder to say. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Where it might go. The um, yeah, the idea of of technology impacting our life. I mean, again, it's how we use it. But do you sort of talk to people about practices they can do to to use the tool as as it's supposed to be used, rather than being hooked on it in in less healthy manners, I suppose. You know, I don't spend as much time on in uh, personal use. I um, I have um, spent a little bit of time working with uh, parents and educators around appropriate use of technology with kids, and how do they, you know, sort of have the right conversations with with parents. I just recorded a podcast on that. In fact, hmm. but for adults, uh, no, I don't tend to talk about that as, yeah. as a matter of personal health or well being. That's just not really my space. I Typically, I'm thinking about um, technology is, uh, you know, kind of more in a, in a corporate sense or a business sense. Do you see, um, well, I guess, the implications of, of data 
and data being, you know, I guess the the future wealth. Do you see that, you know, data is is exactly that? And do you think where or these companies are are creating technologies just to grab that data, data wealth? Yeah, I think that um, it absolutely is the next thing to be monetized. Uh, and there's still a long way to go with respect to how yeah, that's gonna both yeah, companies and governments and people will be able to get their arms around the data that they own or control and then figure out different ways, clever ways or creative ways to monetize it. That's a very, very, very tricky topic. That's though, a dangerous because, field, isn't it? Well, it's a yeah. It can be. It also, um, strangely enough, it actually becomes a topic that you, you know, you think it's going to be a technology topic because it's, it's technologists who were figuring out how to, you know, digitize data, right? That started all the way back when people started scanning books onto microfiche, if anyone remembers that, and hmm. or you know, putting it on CD-ROMs or then putting it in the cloud ultimately, and it was the technologists who did it. So we think it's a technology conversation, but really when you thought think about data as increments of value, it's as much a conversation for economists than anything else. And it's a conversation for uh, regulators and policymakers and um, legislative people because you need all sorts of controls around the ownership of it. Mm. So if I'm a store, let's say I'm a, I'm a grocery store, and you come and shop in my store you know, every Tuesday, and you buy stuff from me, and you use your credit card, and you, you, um, I offer a loyalty program. And so you know, join, and, you know, join the loyalty program, and you know, in return for me understanding what you buy, I'm gonna give you coupons every month or discounts you know, at the end of the year, and you, you accept. And so I all of a sudden have all sorts of data about your shopping yeah. patterns. That we can use but, to sell you yeah, more stuff. Who, who gets, right. And I, so I own data about you. And this ownership of data is very, very interesting. Now, let's say um, there's another store down the street that, um, or you're you know, a health provider, maybe a pharmacy, and they know what prescriptions you have. And they have, you have the same thing. You have a loyalty program with them. And so they've got your data. And then there's a bigger company that takes the data from you know, the grocery store and then the pharmacy and they put that together and now they know something about you. That's how it works, right? I mean, it's a, I think maybe a lot of people actually are sort of catching on to that's how it works. But all of a sudden, if I, be get, if I get too clear of a picture of you, when do you step in and say, wait a second, now you've actually somehow or other, and I, you can't even tell me how it happened, but you say you've breached my privacy. You now know too much about me. And that seems wrong. And so, mm, you know, that's interesting. everyone's trying to, yeah, trying to figure out what, where are the lines, where do they get crossed? How do you, how do you uh, create, you know, specific controls and practical controls around ownership of data, and when it, you know enough is enough, or you know something becomes too much? And and honestly, the the brightest, in fact, in Australia, in fact, you have some of the most sophisticated conversations I think in the world going on around this topic, um, rivaling what what's going on in the EU and, and parts of the US. Mm. Uh, and I'll tell you, the brightest minds still don't really have this figured out. Do you think people are going to... I mean, I'm sort of a little bit careless, I'll admit it. I, I sort of don't care because I understand that that's the system. If I go out there and share my data or if I jump on Facebook, I make a choice to do that. And, hey, if they then know more about me, so be it. Um, you know, I guess a lot of these this, this idea of using data, 
um, in the right way can actually help us improve our lives. Like it can help us make decisions easier. So we don't, you know, have loss of time or, or energy there. Um, and that could be down to, you know, what you're going to watch next on, on Netflix. So I think in the right way, that data about you as an individual can be sort of beneficial longer term. My question is, do you think people are really going to still have the issue with privacy issues going forward? Or do you think that'll become less as people just start to go, hey, this is how it is? Oh, I think they will. You're always just one good legal case or court case away from being worried about it again. There was um, all these um, genealogy websites, 23andMe and others, you can send your you know, blood sample in and, and get your, you know, genealogy uh, mapped for you. All sounds well and good until you realize that um, law enforcement can subpoena that data. And in the U.S. it's happened. Hmm. They've actually criminals uh, and they caught them through somebody um, using one of those websites. I don't know if it's answers what one of them, it doesn't matter who, and uh, and was able to, from that sample to trace lineage back to somebody who committed a crime 20 years ago. And so there's that. Now there's also if you um, are if you have a smart home or if you're installing new technology in your home, you buy a new refrigerator. A lot of that uh, is Wi-Fi connected now. Hmm. You know, the ring doorbell. You know everything. You can connect everything from your phone. You can you know look at your cameras, security cameras around your house. All of that is connected. And and people generally love this idea of a connected home, and it makes a ton of sense. Uh, but I just read an article the other day uh, about the idea that police could subpoena that data um, to look at, to be able to basically um, perform surveillance inside your house because you've got the data available to you. So you have to always, you know, it's, you're only ever, is, is this issue going to go away? People understand that. The it's really only at the start of it, like you said earlier, isn't it? I mean, that's. It's very early days, but I guess this will come across very quickly when um, that data will be used more and more, and there there will probably be less and less that we can do about it. That's right. Do you think? Like, do you reckon that technology will have solutions about controlling it more? I sort of don't see how it how it could stay controlled. Oh, I think I think it will. I think you'll see that happen absolutely because you'll get consumer watchdog groups and, and privacy advocates who will step in and insist on that. Uh, you'll see governments actually uh, raise the bar. I think this is happening in Australia. It's happening in the U.S. The U.S. government just you know, talked about, or just issued a um, guidance that any device that the government use is, has to have a certain level of cybersecurity protection within it. And that's a, you know, essentially if the government, which is the biggest buyer of these things, insists that there are security protections inside the device, so the manufacturers will just put that in and then, you know, other people when they buy the same devices for them are personally useful, get the benefit of that. And, and so, yes, you will, you will see, I think, um, this sort of back and forth thing, if you will, where, um, you know, something will come out, you know, with whether or not it's in your connected home or maybe it's in your car uh, or maybe it's in your phone or your computer. And there's, you know, also so much more data that's available about you because you're trying to use the service. Right. And then and then you'll have the, the pendulum swing the other way and you'll see a lot of new features, even in your refrigerator to help you protect your data, whether it's, you know, password protecting it or making sure it's encrypted 
Um, there'll be guidance around, you know, how you should be securing your home router so that um, no one can get into it and, you know, so on and so forth. So mm. it's early, as you'd said, and um, and you'll see it, it as it has always been with technology. Um, it'll be massively open and then people will worry about it and then we'll close it down and then, you know, something new will come out and it'll be open and that will have to be protected again. So it'll so just we'll keep happening. Yep. Mm, are you concerned at all? I'm always concerned about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always concerned. Yeah, because I don't think people know. And um, and that's one of the, the broader themes that I spend a lot of time worrying about is that um, technology, you know, the elephant in the room in a lot of technology conversations is that the reason why people don't understand how it works is, A, they think it's kind of boring. You know, it's sort of the nerdy thing, you know, and or they don't think they're good at it. Hmm. So they kind of feign ignorance or helplessness around technology. And you've met people like that in your life who just can't figure out their phone, right? Or they, you know, they've been driving a car for three years and they don't know what half the buttons do, you know, or they get easily frustrated by technology. They don't know how to log in their router. The sound stops working on their TV and they can't fix it. And, you know, and it could happen at work to somebody who's, you know, um, still doesn't know how to create a pivot table and an Excel spreadsheet or, you know, doesn't know how to format a slide in PowerPoint. You know, these, we, we just have this feeling that technology is boring and, uh, and it's hard. And that's really, really unfortunate because when you have that mindset, you don't act in your own best interest. And when there's more and more of it around you and in your life, all the way back to this conversation around Facebook, you have to be, you know, your own best advocate. You have to understand how it works, what it's doing. You, you know, most people don't know, strangely enough, and it drives me nuts, most people don't know that you've got to go into Facebook settings and always be checking the, the settings, the privacy settings, because every time Facebook issues a major update, not every time, but often when they do, they'll change the features and functions. And so you could go in and realize, oh my gosh, my location services are turned back on. Well, I don't want Facebook to know where I am. They don't need that. Mm. You know, they don't need my camera access. They don't need photo access. They don't need any of that. So, you know, that you would only know to do that if you decided that you were going to take charge of the technology in your life and be responsible for it. Yeah. And I guess that's where it comes back to that taking responsibility for your own life. But if it becomes yeah. too much like like me, I guess I'm careless and maybe it's because I'm ignorant to it. I'm not sure. But I, I have the Google in my house, the Google Home. I've got Facebook, you know. I don't spend a lot of time there, but I certainly use Google Home and it's it's sitting in the living room. Like there's there's probably issues I should be concerned about there maybe. I'm not sure. But I sort of, I guess I don't care because I don't think anything really that bad is going to happen. But I guess it probably could too. Well, I mean, the likelihood is that, you know, you could think of it this way. What's the likelihood that if you leave your door unlocked, somebody's going to come in and, and steal something out of your house? Mm. I mean, probably not very high. It depends on where you live, right? But most people and that's, in most neighborhoods, yeah. you know, so it's not a, it's not a, 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 you know, usually a very high risk. And and by the way, there are all sorts of ways to think about where we could get into this conversation forever and talk about cybercrime and who's really behind it and how do you, how you know if you are susceptible to it or not and there are ways to to think that through yeah generally speaking though it's not it's not a super high 
risk that you have. Uh, it's but it's about more than that. It's about uh, a mindset of you owning and taking advantage of your technology and just understanding that you know the the very thing that the companies needed to do to get you to buy the technology in the first place doesn't always work to your advantage. And what I mean is that for for Google to get you to use Google Home, for Amazon to get people to buy Alexa and put that little thing on their kitchen counter, hmm. right? For Apple to you know give you the incentive to use Siri to text, they had to make these features, this technology, profoundly simple and intuitive, or no one would do it. Because to the original point, technology is hard and boring. Hmm. So they have to make it, you know, so wonderful. So they're making it more and more good. simpler and attractive and user-friendly. Yeah, and until they did, I mean, I would, you know, assert maybe for you, like until Google Home really was just about as easy, you could plug it in, turn it on, you're done, and all of a sudden it's giving you all this value, you probably weren't going to use it. You know, they could just, it had to meet a very high bar for it to, you know, um, get gain entry into your life. But that's a, that's the, the trick, isn't it? Because it, the simpler they make it, the less likely I am to, or the more likely I am to use it, and the less likely I am to to get concerned about what sort of data they're grabbing from me or, you know, how they're using it. Exactly. Exactly. That's the point. Do you, do you think that's going to go away? Uh, Probably not. I hope that over time people... Uh, start to become advocates for themselves. I mean, again, I don't think that's a technology problem. I think that's just a people problem. Mm, yeah. You know. Interesting. Uh, how many people know how to how to do? How many people understand how interest works on their bank account? How many people? Yeah, true. You know, there's all sorts of things that we ought to be doing for ourselves and our lives, mm, and yeah. um, whether we do or not is you know, becomes a personal choice. You hope that everyone does. Yeah. Yeah. No, very good point. And what's on the cards for you now, Jennifer? What what things are we working yeah, on? Yeah, I, I think about this topic largely in the context of work because what you do for money is, in fact, a profoundly personal thing at the end of the day, mm. right? It is what determines your quality of life and your, you know, from a personal self and also, you know, economically or financially and technology changes work. And we'll be changing work. I think the pandemic has accelerated that uh, change. And uh, that idea that technology is kind of hard and boring and we don't want to do it is the mindset that's behind people not thinking about what they need to be learning in their work lives either. You know, when your marketing job becomes digital marketing, when your healthcare job requires you to understand all sorts of new technology. Uh, you know, when your legal job requires, you know, data analysis and your finance or your, you know, accounting job requires uh, a kind of data analysis you didn't need to have. Like everyone needs digital skills. Every job at some point is going to be a tech job to some extent or another. Mm. And I want to help solve that problem. So again, book writing and speaking advising, also a couple of um, startups that I'm working with that are trying to look at that problem in a, in a unique way. So mm. lots to keep busy. And um, so I don't think this problem... It's going to be some hard problems, isn't it? Yeah, it goes away soon. Do you think the like the younger generations, and you probably maybe see this, but um, because things are, are changing so rapidly and because, you know, I guess with the skills they need today may not be relevant tomorrow, do you think there's less proactiveness in their lives to 
um, focus on career because it's just going to change like that anyway. So I'll just take it sort of more day by day. Do you see that out there or is this just a something in my head? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the younger generation is profoundly confused right now. And I, I it's some people who are in older generations like to say, well, you know, that's what the young generation is always doing. <laughs> you know, in every, you know, in every era, yeah. there's always this, you know, with 60s, 70s, whatever. I actually think it's very different right now. I think they are profoundly confused. I think the idea, um, you know, for your education doesn't have the same economic or societal value that it used to uh, because careers are changing. And depending on where you are around the world, it could just not be worth the money that you spend on it or the time. And and, um, and I think the nature of work is changing. So you look at the bigger employers and the kinds of jobs that they're offering and um, you know how they're restructuring to orient to the future is just a very different, becomes a very different job landscape. Mm. So you, know, you used to be able to go get a business degree or an accounting degree or finance degree or an engineering degree. And you kind of had the assurance that you could go do that for the rest of your life. Yeah. And that's not the way it looks. And yeah, I do think younger people who are thinking about their careers, they know that. Hmm. And it becomes a question of well, what should I, what should I do? And I guess if that's changing, you know, because it used to be get a degree, get a job long-term, save, buy a house, blah, 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 family, all that sort of stuff. If all the, that is changing now about, you know, based on work, then our lifestyle and our goals and our purposes will, will alter as well, don't you think? Oh, I absolutely think they yeah. will. Yeah, I think it's an uncomfortable truth. That, is that where the know, confusion you, is then for these younger generations at the moment? I, I mean, you know, this is my opinion. Uh, yes, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, or I think it's it's at least partly that um that's my that's my sense i think it is you know we all want purpose we all want to think that we are doing something constructive and meaningful we want the approval of others you know we want um, external validation for what we're doing in terms of you know money and yeah. and promotions and this old model older school model of get the degree and go do the thing and then buy the house whatever that was the purpose that was yeah, exactly not anymore and then some small minority of us might have, you know, said, well, hang on a second, I still feel empty. And so what, what is the real purpose? You know, there's always been that. But I think a larger percentage of, of uh, people now, especially those under 25, are going to say, well, hang on a second. That's actually not the purpose anymore. So if that's not it, what is? Yeah. Because see, if that's we had a purpose of getting a, you know, a job, having a house, raising a family, um that's okay even if we found along the way that that's really seems purposeless so we search for other purposes but if we've got no purpose to begin with how can we even begin that journey of finding purpose yeah yeah i think you read a lot of philosophy you go back and read albert camus and you know you start to get a little existential about you know your purpose is um well i don't know other any everyone will go about it in a different way mm. but i think the question gets very real yeah for for people yeah and for kids and i suspect just given what i think is you know the culture of that younger generation in western you know western societies it will be a little bit more you know sort of live for the day be in the present you know not <laughs> worry about long term because we don't know what long, long term looks like and i suppose that's, that's the thing is that if you if you don't know what the world is going to look like what what even jobs could be 
in five or ten years, then what else could you do? But just yeah. focus on. And I heard it the other day coming from a younger person, and it was just like, I just take it day by day, and I'm just like, wow. And I love it in a lot of ways, like that that nature of being carefree, I suppose. But it distresses me too. It doesn't feel good. Oh, completely, right? Nope. Don't you want to tell them? You give them a lecture about mortgages and compounding interest and retirement plans. And- yeah, but then I look at it and I go, isn't that, how free is that? It must be so freeing, but maybe there internally is a lot of confusion and stuff that I don't know about. But to me, it's sort of, it's envious too to have that sort of uh, approach to life because it's certainly not my approach. In, in the U.S., I don't know what this looks like in other, in other Western societies. In the U.S., among the young, educated crowd that are sort of politically active and involved, you know, a pretty high percentage of them identify as socialists. A pretty high percentage of them are thinking about universal basic income mm. because they will say, you know, f- from the technology argument, it's uh, it, when technology automates everything and you don't need labor anymore what are we going to do for work right that's the always been the economic argument for universal basic income but this younger generation i think sees that as um as an actual reality it's not an if it's a when and maybe it won't be in the next 10 years but they would see it as possibly in their lifetime in their work lifetime so, so it's a very very different view than you know what i had growing up and coming of age in the 80s and 90s and 2000s thinking about you know i was thinking about a 401k or a retirement plan when i was in my 20s because that's what you were supposed to think about mm. it is that's very exciting to me i love the idea of of how much that would change our lifestyles um, and you know, there's probably a lot of bad things that will come from it, but I think in many ways it'll be profoundly beneficial to humanity in general. Yeah, I think so too. It's a bigger, it will be a bigger shift for some than others, depending on your culture and your economy and how things work in your country. Mm. I think it'd be, you know, the U S it'll be. I mean, this is just an interesting place to be right now, period. But uh, it would be a... It's almost happening with governments at the moment, like in Australia, where they're just pumping money into the the economy. Yeah, well, I mean, we have have another 40 days until the new... Or 50 days until our new president is uh, inaugurated. So they call this little period of time, you know, after the election, but before President-elect Joe Biden takes over the lame duck, they call it the lame duck session, and... And so it's always nothing ever happens because whoever lost the election is mad, you know, and so they're not being helpful and, you know, everyone's divided right now. It should be the time when we're pumping money into the economy, but people are arguing about uh, how much that should be. So it's uh, actually tricky. Yeah. Yeah. What can we do as parents? I've got two young daughters. Um, They're quite young, eight and five. But what what do you think is in the best interest of a parent? Um, or even not a parent, an educator or someone that's, you know, dealing with younger people, what can we do to set them up for the future of, of work and career and life? That's a very broad question, I know, but. Yeah, I mean, a broad answer is embrace technology. Yeah. Uh, I know it doesn't seem, it seems a little counterintuitive because I think parents have a mindset often that they have to shield their children from technology. I have this and argument with my wife. It's true. You do have to be very, 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 very careful yeah. of what they see. Uh-huh. Um, you can't unsee things. And these you know, kids are absolutely traumatized by the things they're not supposed to see on yeah. the Internet. 
the, I believe the only way around that is to empower them through, um, through an understanding and a really well-developed understanding of technology, what it really is, what it is, and how it works. Um, I put them in coding boot camps if they're that age. Encourage them to understand what goes on behind the curtain. Make them the authors and the creators of the technology, not just the, the recipients or even victims of it. Mm. And then as parents, you know, this is the time now to obviously lean in. And, and there are all sorts of tools and ways that you can monitor your kids. And, uh, you know, there's like parents, the, the parents that don't mind sneaking into the kid's room, you know, when they're at school and the other ones who want to respect privacy. And you can't afford, in my opinion, to respect privacy online. You have to be involved and see everything and, and eight at eight and five they're still young enough to not push back too much but um with the appropriate controls in place i would encourage you to get them to put their arms around it and understand it you know not not because you want them to fall in love with it but because you, you want know, them to understand like it yeah. Anything, yeah they can't thrive i believe in the world without that and the more sophisticated as a kid you are about technology the better cooked you're going to be that's good advice i like it Lovely conversation today. Thanks for coming on for a uh, second round. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Let us know when that book launches too, eh? and we'll share it out. I will do that. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jennifer. Guys, check it out at thehiddenwire.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is lee martin Utsi. until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon